about Longview Point Baptist Church, there would have to be a chapter on unity. There would have to be. You can't tell the story of the point without talking about unity. So if there were a book being written, you'd have to include that chapter. Maybe also a chapter on Frank Peavy, but but, but you'd have to have a chapter on unity. And in the providence of God, as we've worked our way through the book of Joshua, on this 15th anniversary celebration, we've come to a passage that's all about unity. I thought, what a fitting word for our church as we celebrate and as we look to the future. So keeping that in mind, look with me in Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Joshua chapter 22, verse 1. I'm going to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, which is truth with no mixture of error. The Bible says, At that time Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You've kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice and all that I've commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now, the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to cling to him, to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. What a touching scene. Isn't that a touching scene? Now fast forward to verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Uh-oh. We went from a touching farewell scene to impending war. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, ask God to bless the preaching of His Word. But before I do pray, I just want to say a quick word about the hurricane that is uh, right now uh, making landfall in Florida. Uh, as many of you know, I've had a lot of texts and phone calls. Uh, my family, I'm father on the East Coast and family in North Florida, uh, Claire's family is in North Florida, Travis's family is in North Florida, and you have undoubtedly family and friends, people you know that are in that area. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray for um, the people that are past of that um, horrendous storm, and uh, also pray for the recovery efforts in Texas. And there's a lot going on. There's there are floods in um, in northern India, uh, in Nepal. 
Uh, there are earthquakes uh, in Mexico. Um, and there's a lot going on in our world in terms of natural disaster. We want to pray for the people that are suffering and pray that God would use this to, to uh, show His greatness and draw many to Himself. Let's just bow together and we're going to pray and ask God to, to just draw near to us in these moments. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we are mindful today of how much we need you. Lord, we need you in this service. We need you in this church. We believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. And this time will be wasted and worthless and empty and vain if you don't meet with us. So, Lord, we need you. And we ask you to draw near by your Spirit. Give us grace to lift up the the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we do pray for those right now that are in the path of Hurricane Irma. Lord, we pray for minimal damage, God, that you would weaken the storm quickly. We know that you're in control of the storms. Lord, you hold mammoth storms like that in your hands. You're in control. You're sovereign, and we believe that. We pray that there would, Lord, be a, a safety for the people there, Lord. We pray for... Lord, that people be safe and, and lives would not be lost. We pray for the emergency workers, the leaders, the first responders. God, give them great wisdom. Uh, keep them safe, Lord, as they go out and help others. And, and, and Lord, I just pray that uh, through this disaster, and it looks like it's going to be bad for a while, but we pray that uh, you would remind people of how much we need you. And, uh, Lord, that you would draw many to yourself. Lord, I pray that you'd use the churches in Florida and in, and in Texas, Lord, to just be the light of Christ in the midst of disaster, to point people to hope and to share good news and to help those that have real needs in their lives. Lord, may this, may this be a time that the church shines. Father, we just pray you'd work and, and help. We need you. We love you today, and we praise you. And we lift up this prayer to you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, as we've journeyed through the book of Joshua, we've seen the Lord bring His people into the promised land. We've seen Him give them victory over the people living there in that promised land, driving them out. And we've seen the Lord divide up the land among the, the, the twelve tribes of Israel. And now we see where God is going to command them through Joshua's leadership to live faithfully for him in the land. And in verses 1 through 9, we see the context of this chapter. Uh, We know that, from reading earlier in Joshua, that there were two and a half tribes, Reubenites and the Gadites, and half tribe of Manasseh, that were given land on the east side of the Jordan. And the other nine and a half tribes were given land on the west side of the Jordan. But before they uh, would take their place on the east side of the Jordan, the two and a half tribes had agreed to fight with the nine and a half tribes. So they'd be one mighty nation fighting against the enemies living there in that land. But now that the fighting was over, Joshua says, in, in effect, in verses 1 through 9, job well done. Go to your land. You can cross the Jordan. Go to the east side of the Jordan and take possession of your land and thrive there with your families. 
He said he reminded them to be faithful, to serve the Lord, to obey the Lord, and he uh, reminded them they needed to enjoy the blessings of God, the land that God had given them. And even he said, share the blessings of God uh, with uh, or among his people. This is a touching scene, verses 1 through 9. These are warriors that had been through conflict together. If you've been in uh, the armed forces, you understand how close warriors get. When you serve and you fight and and, and even die together, you you know uh, how close the camaraderie is in that setting. And and Joshua says, job well done. Warren Wiersbe writes, the soldiers from the Reuben, uh, tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh must have been especially euphoric when the Jewish conquest of Canaan ended. For over seven years, they had been away from their families on the other side of the Jordan, and now the victorious soldiers were free to go home. So, job well done, victory, now they get to go and return to their families and settle on the east side of the Jordan. It's a, it's a beautiful scene, it's a touching scene, it's a powerful scene, but things go south quickly. And we see that the unity of the people of Israel uh, is affected. As so I want to talk to you about unity and what unity looks like and how we preserve and protect unity among the people of God. There are three headings uh, concerning what I want you to see from this chapter concerning unity. First of all, in this chapter we see unity tested. Unity tested. It says in verse 10 that when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben, the, half, the, the, people, of, the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it and said, Behold, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the tribe of Manasseh, have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan, on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. The, the unity here is being tested. Now, there are several thoughts I have about this, this potential conflict. First of all, conflict can arise between well-meaning people. Did you know that? Conflict doesn't always arise when someone's being ugly and someone's, you know, faithfully trying to do the right thing. Sometimes conflict arises between two parties that both want to honor the Lord, which is exactly what happens here in this text. Both sides, the nine and a half tribes on the west side of the Jordan, the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan, both sides are desiring to be faithful to God. Now, what were the two and a half tribes doing by building this, this altar? It, it says there in verse 10, it was an altar of imposing size. The NASB says a large altar in appearance. The King James says a great altar to see to. The Holy Christian Standard says a large, impressive altar. Why are they building this big altar? Well, we see later on in the passage that they explain in verses 26 and 27 that this altar was built not to sacrifice animals on. It was built to be a, a visual reminder that the God of the Western tribes was their God too. They, they wanted to make sure that everyone remembered they were God's people also. And so they're building this large altar, not to sacrifice on, but it's a replica, a large replica of the altar used in, sacrific, in the sacrificial system. 
And when the western tribes would come to the Jordan and see, and the eastern tribes would come to the Jordan and see this large altar, it was a reminder, hey, we're all God's people. We're all people of Israel. We're all descendants of Abraham. We're on the same team. And that was the heart of the eastern tribes in building this large altar. It was a, a witness. It was, it was saying, hey, when you see this, remember, we're all on the same team. They wanted to be faithful. They wanted to be included among God's people. But also the western tribes were trying to be faithful. So wait, why did they want to go to war? Well, in their mind, they were thinking Deuteronomy 12, 13 through 15. And in Deuteronomy 12, 13 through 15, the Bible says, Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord would choose in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I'm commanding you. In other words, God said through Moses, I'm going to decide where the altar is. I'm going to decide where the central place of worship is, where you carry out the sacrificial system. And when I decide where it is, and this time it was at Shiloh, when I decide where it is, you don't, you don't sacrifice animals anywhere else. You only sacrifice animals in the place I designate. And so when the western tribes hear that there's this big altar, they're saying, uh-oh, the eastern tribes have gone rogue. They're going to sacrifice animals over there on their own altar. They're going to violate Deuteronomy chapter 12. And so they rise up for war. They didn't understand that the eastern tribes just meant it to be a witness, a, a, a replica, not to be used, just to be seen. And so what you see in this chapter, you see both sides seeking to be faithful. They, they, they both love the Lord. And yet because they don't understand what's happening, there is conflict that Arises So conflict can arise between well-meaning folks. And also, conflict has the potential to be devastating. Did you know that? It has the potential to be devastating. Think about this. A war would have shattered the camaraderie among these tribes. That's why verses 1 through 9 are so important. These are warriors. They had fought together for how long? Seven years. They had... They had fought together against the enemy, seeing God work in miraculous ways in their midst. And now, just shortly after that, these comrades in arms are about to go to war with one another. Can you imagine how devastating, emotionally devastating that would have been? It would have shattered the camaraderie, the unity of the 12 tribes. A war would have weakened the tribe's position of strength in the promised land. Remember, they are not fully... Uh, driven out the people's living there. They still had some work to do. The tribes had some work to do in their different allotments of land. So you understand that if the people still living there, the Canaanites, if they saw the Israelites weakened, they would have they would have gotten together, they would have gotten into a coalition, and they would have attacked. If, if, if Israel would have been decimated by this civil war and weakened, it would have weakened their position in the land, and they could have been driven out of the land. Also, a war would have ruined Israel's witness in the promised land. God designed his people, the nation of Israel, to be a kingdom of priests. In other words, they were to make God's name known to the other nations, to show the other nations this is what it looks like to serve the one true God. And their witness would have been ruined if they would have gone to war with one another. Oh, that's what it looks like? You fight with each other? That, that's really what it looks like? Which, by the way, that's why it's such a big deal when churches fuss and fight. Because our job is to show the world 
how great Jesus is and the difference that he makes and the good news that he saves. But when God's people fuss and fight, people say, really? If, if I follow Jesus, I get to be in the middle of all that? It, it ruins witness. It would have ruined the witness of the people of Israel. And it ruins the witness of God's people today. In other words, unity, when it's there, it is an indicator of the presence and power of God. When people see, uh, others see people that are unified, on the same page, serving together, loving each other, making a difference, that is an indicator that God is there, right? And people sit up and take notice. So the first thing we see from chapter 22 is that, that unity will be tested. Well-meaning people can come at odds with one another because of misunderstanding. Or someone can act ugly and people can come at odds with one another. And We're all sinners. We make mistakes. We have good days and bad days. We have good weeks and bad weeks. And if we happen to cross each other, we're both having bad weeks or bad days. Guess what? Conflict can emerge, right? Conflict will be tested. Our first music leader at the church, we started 15 years ago. His name was John. And John was a big LSU fan. I mean, big fan. Now, I remember one particular Sunday, this is when we were in the hardware store. One particular Sunday, LSU beat Ole Miss. And John showed up to lead music with this bright purple LSU tie. I mean, had LSU logo all over it. It was purple. I mean, it was bright. He led the music, and, and I was standing at the back door uh, well, uh, uh, speaking to folks as they were leaving the building. And I had this lady come up to me. She said, when John wears that tie, I want to wrap it around his neck. And I kind of laughed. She didn't laugh. Unity can be tested, can it? It really can. We're all different. We come from different backgrounds. We cheer for different teams. We have different strengths, different emotions. And if, if we're not careful, if, if, if we're not focused on what we need to be focused on, unity can be tested in a, in a, in a split second. In a split second, things can go bad. That, that's what happens here. Unity is tested, and the, the tribes are about to go to war. There's the second thing here. We see unity tested, but we see unity preserved. Unity preserved. The story ends good. Look what it says in verse 13. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. They came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed? against the God of Israel and turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord. Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things? And wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel, and he did not perish alone 
for his iniquity. Here. The nine and a half tribes, before they attack, before they go to war, they decide that they need to talk. And I want you to hear this. This is so important. Unity is preserved by careful conversations. Unity is preserved by careful conversations. Instead of talking about one another, the two sides talk to one another. I mean, the the nine and a half tribes could have said, those two and a half tribes, they're so faithless, they're going to, they're going to, sacrifice animals over there by the Jordan. I'm tired of dealing with these breaches of faith like Achan. Let's go deal with them right now. But before they attacked, they sent a delegation of leaders to talk. And there's something that you and I can learn from that. And, And this delegation from the Western tribes does four things. First of all, they asked questions, verse 16. Basically, what are you up to? Why are you doing this? Verse 16. What is this breach of faith that you have committed? Why have you built the altar? Secondly, not only did they ask questions, but they shared concerns. Verses 17 through 18. said, listen, have we not had enough of of breaches of faith? Look at our history, the the sins of Peor, uh, Achan and his sins that affected other Israelites when they were unfaithful to God. Uh, Have we not had enough of this? They're sharing their concerns. If you persist in offering sacrifices on this altar you have built, it'll affect all of God's people. It's a breach of faith. Third, they proposed a solution. I love this. They they said, listen, if it's hard for you to stay faithful to the Lord on the east side of the Jordan, if you're too far away from the center of sacrifice where the, the true altar is, then move over to the west side. Come live with us. It's better that you come live with us than you permit your people to indulge in this breach of faith. So they propose a solution. Hey, we'll take you in. If living there is too hard to be faithful to God, come live on this side of the Jordan. And then they encourage faithfulness. Verse 20. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. So so they're, they're, they're asking questions. They're sharing concerns They're proposing a solution, and they're encouraging faithfulness. And then the two and a half tribes respond. And we see that unity is preserved by shared values. Look what it says in verse 21. Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, The Mighty One, God the Lord, the Mighty One, God the Lord, He knows and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today. For building an altar to turn away from following the Lord, or if we did not, if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord Himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, "What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel?" For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben, the people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord, so your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, "Let us now build an altar." Not for burnt offering. We're not going to sacrifice anything on this altar. Not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in His presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings so your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. So they explain themselves. 
the two and a half tribes. We didn't build it to sacrifice. We built it as a reminder that we belong to the one true God. And, and just like those on the, the western tribes, uh, the western side are serving the Lord, we're serving the Lord too. We're all on the same team. We're in the same family. We're all God's people. And so we see here that unity is preserved by these shared values. In fact, look what it says in verse 34. People of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness. For they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. They're saying, we believe the same thing about the same God. We want to honor Him the way you want to honor Him. This altar will remind us of that reality. And so we see that unity is preserved because they're on the same page. They talk it out. They explain themselves. They have the same core values, serve the same God, and they can move forward. And unity is preserved among God's people by shared values. Let me show you an example. Hold your place. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Apparently, the church of Philippi had two women that couldn't get along, Euodia and Syntyche. And what, what amuses me about this passage is Paul wrote this, this letter, and it would have undoubtedly been read to the entire church. And can you imagine being one of two ladies, and you're fussing with another person, and the, the elder of the church is up before the congregation reading this letter from the Apostle Paul, and he says this, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Stop fighting. He calls them out by name. Stop fighting. But look what he appeals to. He appeals to shared value. Look in verse 2 or verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women, watch this, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. You know what Paul's saying there? Yodius and Tiki, stop it. You've both served with me in trying to share good news, trying to share Jesus, and both of your names are in the book of life. You're both saved, you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You better get along here because you're going to be together forever in heaven. Right? And Paul appeals to shared values to call these women to unity, to to stop their conflict. And so unity is preserved by shared values. Let me just say this. There is no unity apart from a foundation of truth. You have to have a foundation. You have to be on the same page. To be on the same page, you have to have truth to stand on. And, and our foundation of truth is the Word of God. You and I cannot be unified if we're just making up things as we go. Our values and our concerns and our focus, we are unified. We're on the same page because we believe together that the Bible is the Word of God and has the final say. That's why we're unified. Unity happens when we stand on a firm foundation of truth. And by the way, listen to me. This is important. Come real close. You never sacrifice truth for the sake of unity. Because unity without truth is not real unity. It's unfaithfulness to God. 
And so we got to make sure that when we're unified, we're unified on truth. I mean, there are some things that you need to break fellowship over. Right? There are. I mean, there are, there are non-negotiables of the faith that we stand for as a church, and we will not back away from those. We believe the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God, truth with no mixture of error. We believe that Jesus Christ really was born of the Virgin Mary, fully God and fully man. We believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross and took our sin on Himself and died for our sins in a substitutionary way as a propitiation for the wrath of God. We believe that Jesus Christ really did bodily rise from the dead, and He's alive today. We believe that Jesus Christ really will come back. He's going to return. We believe that. We believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other way to be saved. He's the only way to be redeemed of your sins. It's only through Christ. We believe those things, and we will not back away from those things for the sake of unity. We won't. Our unity has to be founded on truth. I don't know if you read the story last year. There was a young pastor in Alabama that during BBS week began to reach out to people in their community. And it just happened that most of the community around this white church was African-American. He began to bring African-American boys and girls to church, and someone said, you can't do this. And he said, well, we've got to do this. The gospel calls to reach out to all peoples. Jesus died for all peoples. And they said, you can't do this. And so the next, ser- the next Sunday, he preached a sermon about God's love for all people, that Jesus died on the cross for all people. The church voted unanimously to fire him. Unanimously. Now, for that pastor, that's not a failure. That's a badge of honor you got to get fired for standing for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you just go get fired. Amen? That is a badge of honor. Why? You don't try to be unified at the expense of truth. You don't. But here, in Joshua 22, in Joshua 22, they're unified. They, they, they come back together. The conflict is avoided because they have shared values. They talk it out, they, they realize they were on the same page, and they move forward. That reminds you and me that when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we all submit to the power of the Holy Spirit, when we recognize the authority of the Bible, when we all engage in God's mission, we cannot help but experience unity. Amen? When we survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, we'll be on the same page. I find it interesting that the altar that they were building here as a witness is a place of sacrifice. Where this symbolic atonement for the sins of the people would take place. The altar in Shiloh, this was a this was a, a, a replica of that altar. It reminds me of that Christian symbol that you and I uphold, the symbol of the cross. The place of sacrifice where Jesus died for the sins of the world. That that symbol has been a symbol that Christians have cherished together for centuries, right? 
when we survey the wondrous cross together, when we stand at the foot of the cross together, when we see to a, we say to a lost and dying world, there's room at the cross for you, and we do that together, we will be unified. So unity is tested and unity is preserved. But one final thing I want you to see, unity is celebrated. Unity is celebrated. Look what it says in verse 31 back in Joshua 22. Verse 31. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest unto the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the people of Manasseh. Today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you've not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you've delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. So they're saying, hey, we'll have to fight. We understand what you're saying. We think that's pretty cool. We're all on the same page, same values. We serve the same God. We don't have to fight. We know God's in our midst. We see two things here about this unity celebration. First of all, unity is a blessing from God. Verse 31, Phineas says, we know the Lord is in our midst. In other words, this this unity, the fact that we have not gone to war, the fact that we have not fought with each other is is an indicator that God is with us. Unity is a blessing from God. And here's what I want to say, and I do not want you to leave today without you hearing me say this at 15 years of celebration at our church. Real, lasting unity is empowered by God. Real unity, listen, is supernatural. Real unity is a gift of grace. It's not because we just have it all figured out or not leadership. It's not, it's, listen, it's God's gift to this church. And I don't know why God has chosen to just lavish His grace on us for 15 years, but He has. He has. And we need to say this unity that we've experienced has been a gift from Almighty God. If anything good happens at the point, listen to me, it's grace. Because left to ourselves, we would make a mess of things. Amen? So unity is a blessing from God. Like how Del Ralph Davis says it, Would that all conflicts among God's people would end with such clear evidence of His presence, His peace, and His truth. Another thing here, unity is pleasant. Look in verse 33. The report, when they came back and reported to the nine and a half tribes on the west side of the Jordan... The report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, were settled. The people of Reuben, the people of Gad, called the altar witness, for they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Unity is pleasant. They're saying, this is good. We're not fighting. We're not fighting. This is good. We don't have to go to war. This is good. It's pleasant. This reminds us of what? The Bible says in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now, if we took some time and passed the microphone around this morning, I bet there's some of you out there that could tell me some war stories about your church background. I've seen ugly business meetings in my my growing up in church. You've seen them. You've seen people fuss and fight and get at odds with one another, probably. 
we had time, we could, we could share those, those tragic stories. And listen to me, if you've been through that, you know how miserable it is. You don't get excited about getting up and going to a fighting church. Right? It's miserable. It's awful. You're not serving the Lord. You're not focused on what you need to be focused on. It's all about the conflict. And you also know how good it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Not perfect. There's nobody perfect here. Do we have disagreements? Yes. Have we made mistakes? Yes. It's not perfect. There are no perfect churches. But by and large, the history of our church has been God has graciously, supernaturally blessed us with unity. And we say to that, to God be the glory. Here's what I want you to walk away with. Unity among God's people should be cherished and pursued. We should say thank you for it and we should pursue it. And we say we've had 15 years of of God's blessing of unity. May it be so moving forward. May we stay on the same page. I love the song we sang earlier. We will remember. One of my favorite songs. If we're going to remember God's blessings, we must remember God's gift of unity. And we must pursue continued Christ-honoring unity. So we can be healthy. So we can be joyful. So that we can expand His kingdom across the street and around the world.